Oh. Um, all right. Uh, I wish I was there with you because I was getting back to where I was enjoying the face-to-face uh, interaction with the sermon and uh, need to isolate here, see, make sure that, that I'm not sick. Um, we've got some, some problems in the household with uh, potential um, COVID, so we'll see what, what happens here. Um, we're in the second section of our series on the gathering storm, and we're really at the point where we're looking at the live not by lies. And I talked about five specific lies that we are facing. Uh, one of those is the lie of secularism. Secularism says there's a no-God zone, or God doesn't matter in this aspect of life. But for us, in Him we live and move and have our being. There is no secular context. Uh, there's holy in common, but that's a different category. The world has a lie called racism that came out of Darwinian uh, evolution, this idea that there are different races of people and that we can tell something different about them by the color of their skin or the texture of their hair. That is not how the Bible sees humanity. We are one. We are made from one blood. We're all ancestors of Adam and Eve. And uh, God then divided us at Babel by languages. And so our cultures are different. And that's a a problem, but God created a culture, Israel, to be a light to the nations. But we're all created in the image of God. And so this notion that if you think there are races, you will end up thinking like a racist and you will end up acting like a racist. The third lie is that gender and sexuality are unrelated to marriage procreation and parenting. The fact is, God created that as a package. We are male and female for the purpose of companionship in marriage, and for the purpose of procreation in marriage, and for the purpose of parenting those children, because God is after godly offspring. The fourth lie is that life is about being safe and secure and successful and significant. And you're going to see that when we get to the next book that we'll be reading, the iGen book, uh, where this generation puts safety above all other things, and that's creating serious problems. Uh, The idea is that we are to be faithful to God and live by His ways, manifesting His glory. That's our purpose in this life. And then finally that suffering is not normative, and we need to eradicate that in all its forms. I talked about this last week when I talked about the cost of discipleship, which involves suffering. And we looked at different kinds of suffering. Of course, there's the general suffering, which all humanity is subject to to because of the fall and the curse. And that suffering we mitigate by trying to take care of the sick and helping each other in that kind of context. We'll never completely eliminate it as long as we are in this life. There is also suffering as a sinner. In other words, suffering as a result of your own sin. And we're warned in the scriptures that we're not supposed to suffer that way, meaning we're not supposed to be intentional sinners. Then there is suffering that comes from others who are doing intentional and unintentional sin against us. We're not to seek uh, vengeance in those cases. The Lord will avenge those things. And then finally... They're suffering for righteousness' sake or for the sake of the Lord's name. 
And that suffering carries a blessing and a reward. Now, we don't seek that, but we must be prepared for it to happen. And we'll talk more about that later in the series. Today, I want to talk about um, uh, and lead up to what I'll be doing next week. We want to talk about the practical aspects of resisting the temptation to assimilate and limit our risk to persecution. To do that, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to pick it up at verse 13. But you may have noticed that we've been in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in almost every one of these messages. And so that ought to tell you that you ought to have this text memorized and and, uh, committed to uh, pondering on it and thinking about it and meditating on it regularly. Uh, It begins in the first part, up to verse 13, telling about the darkness and the lies and the problems that will happen as we come towards the latter days. And we're certainly closer than they were, and we're headed in that direction, so we need to be prepared for that. In verse 13, chapter 3, verse 13, Paul begins to tell Timothy how he's supposed to act while that is going on. So we'll look at that. Verse 13 says, Evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learn them, and that from a child you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. God breathed and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in doing the right thing. So that the person of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Now, we have talked in the past about uh, this. Paul tells Timothy that evil persons and imposters, interesting, the King James trans that, seducers, will continue to get worse through deception and lies as they wander around, tossed to and fro by the lies of humanity. We've talked about the fact that there is a threat of assimilation for believers. Jews have always known this. Christians uh, in most cases have known it less in America because we, uh, we had a more Christian-compatible culture, but that is going away. There is a seductive form of assimilation that draws us and a forcible kind of assimilation that coerces us to become like the world. So, seductive assimilation is the attraction of the world and the culture. That's why John says, don't love the world or the things of the world. If you love those things, the love of the Father is not in you. These things will deny the truth, establish their own truth, and then try to get us to conform so that we think in the way that they think. And if we think in the way that they think, we'll act in the way that they, that they act. If that doesn't work, if they can't seduce us into going with them by peer pressure, then they will begin to move by more coercive methods. It's not hard to see that in our culture, uh, in the last several decades, through education and media, there's been an attempt to establish a narrative of lies that suppresses the truth of God. 
and anyone who's been vocal about biblical truth are being coerced to shut up or to join the narrative of the culture. Paul's answer to this is that Timothy must continue in the things that he's learned and become convinced of. Not just learn. This is not just about knowing what the truth is, but becoming convinced that it is the truth by doing it so that it becomes a part of our experience so that we know what, whom we have believed and that he's able to keep that which we've committed to him against that day. It's the truth of the word of God that... Timothy had known being a child in his home. Now, his father was not a believer, but his mother and his grandmother were, and the faith that was in them, Paul says, I know is in you as well. The inspired word, then, is profitable to equip us in the truth. Now, they had to learn and memorize it. We have a tendency to fall away from that because we have access to it on our bookshelves. That's actually more problematic than it should be. Now, Paul talks about this quite a bit, and there's a passage that you're very familiar with, you're probably so familiar with, that the passage no longer really has the same effect on you that that it should have. And that's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul is using the same idea in Romans 12, 1 and 2, when he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because he saved us, he's given us his grace, he's taught us his ways, he's, he's been faithful to Israel, he's faithful to us. Uh, we are to present our bodies as a, as a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God, and which is the way we actually worship Him. Worship is not just our approaching God uh, in our service, but in our daily walking with Him, because in Him we live and move and have our being. But Paul says, do not be conformed, peer pressured, uh, molded, by this world. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's done by the Word of God and the Spirit of God as we experience that in obedience to His Word. So that we will prove, that is demonstrate, what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, it's important that we know the Word of God and the commandments of God, and that we do them so that we have an experience of the truth that resists the conformity to the world. That requires memorization and internalization of the narratives and the commandments of the Lord so that we think in truth, and we speak in truth, and we act in love according to the truth. That is the behavioral capacity that the Bible talks about, the thoughts and intents of the heart, and the words and the deeds of the body. Now that requires intentional engagement with the word in our homes and in our relationships as a community of faith. And the pressure that is coming against this is coming from education and from the media. And they are now being used both in a seductive way and in coercive ways against us and against our children. 
I want to go to a passage that's become very, very significant to me in, in the latter years. There was a time when I was uh, at First Baptist Church, Westminster, where almost every sermon ended up in Romans chapter 8, because that was the bedrock of knowing that this suffering is not worthy to be compared, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are moving towards the resurrection and the hope that is in him. And I really think that's that's important. We, we need to have that. But there is a chapter that I believe, there are two chapters, this one, Matthew chapter 10 and Matthew 24 that we'll talk about later. But Matthew 10, I want to look at today. This chapter is really critical for us to understand how we are to walk in this world but not be of it. So I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to pick it up at verse 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples, but we see here that he's doing more than talking to them. He's talking to disciples that will follow them uh, towards the latter days. So he says this in verse 16, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. This world is not going to be friendly to you. This world is not going to love you. In fact, you'll be hated of all men for my namesake at some point. Um, at this point, we have some that respect us and some that hate us. That, that will become darker and darker as we move towards the end of the age. So he says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the nations. But when they hand you over, don't worry about what you're going to say. Uh, For it will be given to you in that hour what to say. Because it is not going to be you who speaks, but the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now this is a fascinating text. I'm going to go through the rest of it, but I want to pick it up just 16 through 20. He's saying to them, I want you to be wise as serpents. Now, this is problematic for our culture. Because we have a tendency not to think of serpents as wise. But in the Middle Eastern cultures... Uh, both in Egypt and among the Hebrews and that, serpents were seen in a context as a wise creature, in the same way that the dragon was wise in the Far Eastern cultures. We might say in West to be wise as an owl or shrewd as a fox. The idea is that there is a characteristic that's attributed to these animals in mythology that addresses the idea that wisdom is critical. Wisdom understands what is real and what is a deception. So we are to be wise as serpents, and then he says, harmless or innocence as doves. Now the word here, this harmless or innocent, is a word that means pure, as in being single-minded. Just a 
few minutes ago in our in our readings of James, the verse that wasn't actually read in between those two verses that were read, talks about a person being a double-minded person. They're not pure in mind. They're a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll. They've got they've got biblical content and they've got the world's content in a way that they are constantly uh, going back and forth over these. We are supposed to be single-minded regarding biblical truth. And all that the world has takes a second or third place. That's really important. And our activities have to be subtle, says a dove, subtle or gentle, without mixed motives. That's really important. So, wise as serpents, harmless as doves, I've often contrasted with dumb as an ox and like a bull in a china shop. We're not supposed to be that. I know that some people use the Old Testament prophets as their uh, guide, but the Old Testament prophets, for the most part, were talking to Israel. Just like Jesus uh, rebuked the Pharisees, that was a category and an understanding that they would uh, understand. He didn't go up to strangers and Gentiles and do that kind of ranting. They wouldn't get that. So there's a, a, a way to do things that we need to be aware of. Now Jesus tells us that when we are confronted for the way we live, even though we're being wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove, we're among wolves. And they're going to draw us among religious and civil authorities. And he says, don't worry about what you're going to say then. The spirit of our Father will give us the words. We don't have to be spiritual preppers with a quick comeback and an apologetic saying, that's not the way we're supposed to do. We're to live quiet and peaceable lives. And then if we are pulled in... Two things that are very important here. God will be with us. The Spirit of our Father will be in us, and He will give us the words to speak. So He says, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, I want to pick up at verse 21. Verse 21, He says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Then he says, Whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For I tell you, you will not have finished going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Remember, a disciple is not above his teacher, or a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, and the slave is like his master. And if they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? So, two things are important here that we need to understand. As we move towards a darker and more persecutive time, we will find that some of those who are against us are of our own household and family. They may be of our own congregation. In other words, there will be tares among the wheat. And in that context, those imposters, those false believers will become a problem. So it's important that we are diligent to teach our children so that they become convinced of the truth. Many parents think that as long as they get their, their 
kid to accept Jesus, they've immunized their child from leaving the faith. But that's not true. We need to diligently teach these things and constantly help them to experience so that when they are old, they will not depart from the truth. But even then, some of them we will lose. The second part of this is important, that if persecution begins to attack us where we are, we're not told to stand and fight. We're told to flee to a safer area. I believe this is both spatial and relational context. There will be some jobs and some neighborhoods that may become hostile to us, and we may have to remove ourselves from those uh, activities and those relationships. There are some school systems that have already demonstrated hostility to our faith. We're not to fight them. We're to flee. And I think that's a general rule, and there will be some exceptions. But it's important for us not to become a crusader. Our ethos as Americans wants to fight for our rights. But Paul only did that when it furthered the kingdom, not the culture. We're not trying to save the American way as believers. We may as citizens, but not as believers. We are trying to further the kingdom because the American way is temporal and the kingdom is eternal. We are to live at peace as much depends on us with all people. I want to pick up at verse 26. Verse 26 says, Therefore do not fear them, for is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. So what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than the sparrows. Now, this is really important. We will flee when we, when we have to. But at some point, there will be nowhere to run. And we will then be confronted with the persecution. And Jesus says when that happens, in the same way that you don't need to know what you're going to say, because I'll give you the words, he says, don't be afraid of them, even though they have the ability to kill us. Because our Father has the ability to resurrect us. Our Father has the ability to judge them so that both soul and body will be punished. But we will be redeemed. And he reminds us that even a sparrow falls to the ground. God knows that. Even the number of hair on our head are numbered. And therefore, we should not fear man. We should fear God. But our fear of God becomes trust of God and faith in God so that we don't even fear death, the death of the body, because the death of the body is temporal. The resurrection will override that. Now, in Matthew 10, verse 32, he says this, Therefore, 
Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to uh, bring uh, peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Therefore, if you love your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. He who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Jesus reminds us again that even our closest relationships must be secondary to him. He is our first love and our authority. This idea of confessing and denying is not simple words. It's the idea of agreeing with his words. We are talking and living and intending to function under his authority as he has told us to live. Even if our family rejects us. That is the denial of self to take up our cross in this life. Now finally, he ends the chapter with uh, these words. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. This is an idea that we don't fully understand. We are coming to people in the name of the Lord when we are thinking, intenting, speaking and behaving according to his word. And those who see us do that and receive us and uh, uh, continue with us in that context are not really accepting us because that's not who we are. That's who we're becoming. But they are receiving Jesus and the one who receives Jesus is receiving the Father. But the one who, when we are fully talking and walking in his way, and that is rejected, and we suffer for righteousness' sake, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting him, and he will reject them. Now, in that context, he gives us, in these last two verses, something to understand. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. He reminds us that the rewards come out of this obedience. And the reward is connected to the type of ministry that is being received and being supported and assisted. And so it's important that we develop an understanding of who the believers are in our various areas of life, at work, in our neighborhood, and all of that. We need It's not just a little cult group of the Disciple Center, but we need to know who we can trust, and we need them to know that they can trust us. Now, here's the deal. We ultimately 
have to raise our children in this intentionality. They are living in a world that we never imagined. So how do we isolate and immunize our children to the effects of the lies without completely removing them from the culture. We can't, I know a lot of us would like to do that, but we can't do that. He doesn't say, when they persecute you in this town, go somewhere in the middle of nowhere and create an isolation zone. He says, just go to the next city. So, how do we do this? How do we uh, live by truth in a world of lies? And how do we teach our children to do the same? That's going to be the subject of next week. And I hope we'll have a discussion at the end of that as we try to look at this much more practically. But it's very important that we understand that the uh, days of easy believism is no longer possible in the church, and it's certainly not possible in this congregation, I mean, in this uh, uh, culture that we live in. So, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, and then we'll do Q&A. Record.